about the condition of our society and, uh, and, and kind of where, where we are at as a country and where, kind of where we'll be if their generation doesn't change things, drastically change things. And, uh, and our nation is in desperate need of revival, and, and our world is in need of revival. One of the things uh, this morning uh, during our service, we ended the service with a song. Y'all remember what it was? Since I know you were paying attention to the lyrics and just really admonishing them to the Lord. You alone can rescue. Yes, thank you, KJ. Okay. You alone can rescue. Y'all, y'all remember the lyrics of that song? You remember how they go? How, does, how do the verses go? Well, that's the chorus. Who, oh Lord, could save themselves? Their own souls could heal. Right. That song, I'll, I'll tell you what I wanted to do. What I wanted to do was jump up and just stop everybody and go, wait, we need to stop and think about this song because... This song is an amazing song, and what we need to do is sing it, just sing it over the nations. I mean, stop and think about that. How many of us here saved ourselves? None of us. The Bible says that we were all wretched sinners and that we were in desperate need of a Savior, and as is the rest of the world. And, and Paul sometimes, you know, he talks in his letters, he talks about remembering the fire of their first love. And he's talking to, to the churches and he's saying, listen, we need to get back to, to what it is, that passion, that, that grace that, that just opened our eyes and we saw for the first time the love of Christ. And we need to get back to that from time to time. And this morning I wanted to do that. This morning I wanted to go, wait a minute, yeah, this is great time, we're having great altar time. But everyone in this room is here because of grace, because God reached down at some point in time, many of us, times of crisis, and God reached down and extended his grace, and he saved us. It wasn't just Jesus on the cross. Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead paid the debt for our sin. But it is our belief in Christ as Lord that saves us. Follow me? And, and, and all of us, at some point in time, if we're in the church worshiping, I would hope, came to a place where we, we asked Christ to be our Lord. And the, the, many of the youth sponsors in here went to a conference last weekend, and, and the message, David Plott was sharing the message of the, the last night, and he was just talking about the cross and, and, and all of God's holiness and how his holiness just cannot stand not only sin, but can't stand, in fact, the words David Platt uses, he hates sinners. And it was just up in your face. And he was, he was talking about the scandal of the cross, how scandalous it was because God's holiness requires him to despise, or the word says to even abhor sinners. And yet his grace and mercy and love caused him to go to the cross and settle that for us. And it is us coming to a place where we recognize that, ask Christ then, because of what he did on the cross for us, to come and be Lord of our lives. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, comes and rests upon us. Remember the picture when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. The Bible says that when he was baptized, in other words, when he symbolically manifests to all that he was dying to the flesh, even though Christ never gave in to the flesh, he was dying to the flesh, he was setting an example for us to follow, that he was dying to the flesh, being brought up in newness of life, that the Spirit came and rest upon him and didn't leave, right? 
That's what John the Baptist, or when we read the account of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus, that's what the Bible says. And it's a picture for us that when we ask Christ to, be, Christ to be Lord of our lives, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. He rests upon us. Later on in the Word it says He seals us with the Spirit. Just on a side note. Uh, as, as you talk about revelations, last week we were talking about the end times, I think, when we were, you know, a little bit, and everybody's scaring that. Uh, just as a side note, a lot of people put so much emphasis on the letter 666 and the mark of the beast, right? So everybody's tried to discern for ages what the mark of the beast is. Is it going to be a credit card? Is it going to be a PIN number? Uh, GPS, you know, when GPS, I remember when it first came out, or satellite tracking of people, like my grandparent, my granddad swore it was the instrument of the Antichrist, you know, that they could follow us around and that there got to be in there a secret code that says 666. So my granddad refused to have like an ATM card and he refused to get online and all this kind of stuff, you know, and just like, hey, let me just, on a side note, the 666 has less to do with the mark of the beast in a physical way, and it has more to do with spiritually who owns you. Does that make sense? So just on a side note, when you're looking, talking about end times, quit looking for all these physical stuff going on. A lot of what you're seeing in Revelation is spiritual. The Bible says that when we ask Christ to be our Lord, he seals us. He puts his mark on us. You and I, if we're truly living out a submitted life to Christ's lordship, we don't have to worry about the number of the beast because we already have a number. We are sealed. We are marked by the Spirit is what the Bible says. And so don't worry about that. Nonetheless, we're talking about this, and, and as we recognize the Spirit indwelling us, the Spirit coming and saving us, changing us, literally, as Paul says, making us a new creation. For I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, yet it is Christ who lives within me. That's what Paul says in Galatians. And in the Bible, in other places, in other letters, he writes how we are a new creation in Christ. We're no longer sinners. So we don't have to look at the cross with, with, with dread and, and, and look at God, Christ's, or God's holiness that demands separation from sin and that abhors or hates sinners because we are no longer sinners. We are a new creation, right, because of the cross and because of our submission to Christ's lordship. We now become new creations. And so God doesn't see. And understanding that and understanding how salvation was not of my own, it was Christ, it was the Holy Spirit, it was God who came and bought me, God who created me, and Christ who died for me, and the Holy Spirit who fills me and turns me into this new creation. Understanding that when we sing songs like we did this morning, I wanted to just stop and say, man, let's just, let's sing that again, and let's just sing it over over the nations. Let's sing it over the people in Cambodia. Let's sing it over the people in Pakistan and in India and all those nations where they've never heard the gospel. And let's just sing it. Let's sing for them. Let's sing on their behalf. Who alone can rescue? Who alone can save? Who alone has raised us from the grave? We lift up our eyes. We lift up our eyes to the giver of life. Man, I was ready for revival this morning. Richard even issued the invitation. You know, he was like, man, sometimes we need to just forget this stuff. Sometimes we need to come to the altar and not leave until we've met Christ. And I got to be honest, you know, for me, I was just observing, and, and honestly, I just didn't cut in. Normally, I would. Normally, I'd just grab a mic and come up here and just, okay, we're going to do this. 
but I didn't today, and I should have, because because I, we're singing this song, and Richard had extended this invitation, and while many came to the altars, so many more just sat and stood in the presence of a living God, the giver of life, who has the ability to step down in Iraq and Afghanistan to the hundreds of thousands that have never heard the gospel and give them life. Who has the ability to, to go from this sanctuary where two or more are gathered in his name to stay and yet at the same time be all the way across the sea out in the middle of a desert where the gospel has never, ever been spoken before through his Holy Spirit come in and give life. And knowing that, man, knowing that is dangerous because to have that knowledge and treat it as casually as we do sometimes on Sundays, it's a scary thing. It's a selfish thing. This morning was apropos. It was perfect because all this technical stuff was going on, and it was just like, it was just like God was screaming, "Hey, why don't y'all just get back to just worshiping me? Cut the fluff. I don't need it. I invented music. I make my own music. I don't need yours. You know. I mean, it's just. Well, in talking about that. Talking about revival, that's, that's where we're going with the youth for the next few weeks. Talking about revival, what it really is, what it means. And so tonight, if you brought your Bibles, pull them out. We're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 16. Start in verse 16. Now the picture here is, is Peter. Uh, youth, they were at camp. The word actually says Simon Peter, which would mean what? Do what? Right. It, it's kind of the flesh. It's not just Simon. It's Simon Peter. So it's kind of Peter in the flesh, but then also Peter is, is God's calling him here. So we see kind of both mentioned here. Simon Peter answered, or let me start in verse 15. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? He's talking to the, to the disciples. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Or in the original text, you are a pebble, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of death, or the gates in the original text, the, great, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So what's going on here? Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's just finished teaching, and he's like, well, you know, who do you guys think I am? And Peter, Mr. Boisterous, you know, motor mouth, uh, just immediately jumps the plate, and, well, you're the son of God, you know. You're the son of the living God. Jesus goes, yeah, 
good for you. Because what? That wasn't revealed to you. What does it say? That was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, by any earthly reasons or things or physical things, but by my Father in heaven. Yeah, you got to stop there first and foremost. Here's Peter in all his flesh, right? Fleshly Peter. And yet in the midst of his sinfulness, in the midst of his uh, not meekness as a disciple, in the midst of his just boisterousness, here's God. And in the midst of all that, God uses Peter. And God reveals something to Peter. And Jesus admonishes Peter and says, right on. You're not following what you've seen. You're following what's been revealed to you by your Father in heaven. Now, we gotta, that, that sounds to us like, like well, duh. But, but stop and think about this for a minute. Who are these 12 apostles? Who are these 12 disciples? They're ordinary folk. They're the folk that, that don't, didn't have mastery over the word, as, as Richard talked about two weeks ago. These are the guys that didn't make the cut in school, remember? So their knowledge of the word, while, while they have most of it memorized, their knowledge and understanding of it is not the best. And here's these guys, this particular guy, Peter's a fisherman, and, and he's, we, well, we know a lot about his personality from what we see in the scriptures too. But then we also know that these are the guys that every time Jesus taught something, they didn't understand. Remember? These are the guys that every time Jesus spoke in a metaphor, later they'd be walking down the, on the path or whatever, and they'd come to Jesus and they'd be like, what was that all about? And he would have to re-explain just about every time Jesus preached, he'd have to explain it again to the disciples. These guys are kind of dense, as are most of us. And in the midst of knowing that, then think about what's just taking place here. God speaks to Peter, and Peter speaks out, not even realizing it, and Jesus admonishes him. The first thing we got to take note about revival is that we need to kind of stop, and we need to pay attention to God. More often than not, especially in this country, we're so on the go, so about doing, so about knowing, and so about rights, and academics, and education, and excuse me, what's coming next that so often we tend to miss out on what God is really doing. You know, I, this morning we walked in. I walked in. I got here just about right on time, and I come running in here through the choir room so I can pick up the announcements. I knew I had to do announcement stuff. And I walk in there, pick up the announcements, and, and David comes up and he goes, Jeff, what do we do? Our, our video person isn't here. And we thought he was here because the light had come on up there in the video room when we were rehearsing, but he's not here. And so we don't have any lyrics or any the video. None of it's on the screen. What do we do? And poor David, you know, he's been here, what, a month now? And so he's just kind of like, he was just having a moment. He was just like, hey, no worries, David. You know, just get on the phone and call either Lawrence Shirley or Mike Nelson. One of the two of them have to be in the building. They're quick on the fly. They can handle it. Just, just give them a text. Give them a, you know, shoot him a ring. So I think he called Mike first, and Mike was available. I know Lauren would have done it too, but I think he got Mike first so because uh, he had his number. So. so David calls Mike, and Mike runs up there. And then I walk in here, and Richard's like, our, our lights aren't working. I, I don't know what's going on. Jeff, has anybody told you about the video? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's okay. You know? and, then, and, and then I'm like, oh, and look, you know, stupid me. I, sometimes I'm dense as well. He's like, our lights aren't working. The videos, what do we do? And I'm like, oh, look, and one of the projectors isn't working. 
because <laughs> that one over there wasn't on. And he's just like, oh, oh, oh. And I was just like, <laughs> and everybody just kind of run around like chickens with their head cut off, which I would have been too had I been here early. But for some reason, I had kind of gotten here. Well, not for some reason. I always, I'm never here early. I got here just in time. So I was like, <laughs> and they're just running around. And I'm just like, hey, Richard, you want me to go pray? While they get stuff figured out, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So, isn't it funny, though? The truth is, if I'd been here early, I'd probably have thought, just like they did, that because we had time left, that I could come up with a solution. But because I came in right on time, in my mind, there was no figuring out a solution. There was just, well, let's just deal with what we got. But because they had been here trying to figure out a solution for the past five minutes, they got stuck in trying to figure out a solution rather than just remembering and just figuring, we'll just go with what we got. And that's what's happening here. In the midst of normalcy of life, Peter has a moment. Peter has a moment where he hears God and Jesus admonishes him says, blessed are you because because that didn't come from head knowledge. That didn't come from your schooling. That didn't come from your flashcards. You know, your riddling hasn't kicked in. This is, this is from God. And when it comes to revival, you can't, you can't schedule it. You can't plan it. And you can't, you can't mask it. You just have to wait for it. Now, that being said, God, God always wants revival. It's the desire of his heart. And if we'll slow down enough to where we will listen to God above all of our plans, above our agenda, above everything else, God will reveal himself. And we see that here. So Jesus admonishes Peter. And then he goes into something that's really interesting that if you're not careful, if you don't really do exposition of the word here, you're going to miss it. But he says, listen, after he just admonishes him, he says, listen, you're Peter. And if you read it in English, you think he's saying, you're Peter, and on on this rock I'm going to build my church. That's why many churches, many theologians think that Jesus is saying, you're going to be the person I build my church around. But that's incorrect exposition of the word. Jesus admonishes Peter and he says, man, good job, Peter. That's not you. That's God. You know, it, it, it kind of like like if, if they made a Michael Jordan pill or uh, that's outdated. If they made a LeBron or a Kobe Bryant pill that you could take, you know, like the five-hour energy shot thing. You could take a little Michael Jordan shot, and then you go out before your game, and you could dunk and do everything that that LeBron James or Kobe Bryant or whoever it is, whoever your favorite flavor is, um, you know, that you could go out and do what they did. And so it would be kind of like, you know, you go and you take your Kobe Bryant shot or your uh, betrayer, whatever you want to, whatever his name is, What's his name? LeBron James. Uh, You take your LeBron James shot, and you go out there, and you played like him, and then it kind of wore off. You know, you'd be like, people wouldn't come up to you. If that existed, people wouldn't come up to you and be like, hey, score, Michael, dude. 
you were tight tonight. That get, you were awesome in that game. People wouldn't pay st- a stupid athlete stupid amounts of money, right? People wouldn't get all bent out of shape because he left Cleveland to go to Miami for more money because his talent would not be of his own. It would be the shoddy drink, right? So, so we wouldn't, like, Michael wouldn't drink a shot and go out there and play football and have this glorious game, and we'd all be like, Michael, Michael. And I wouldn't be like, hey, can I have your autograph so that when we make it in the NFL, like, I can say that I knew you, I was your youth pastor, you know, will you take a picture with me so that, you know. But we don't because, but here's what's going on with Peter. It's like Peter comes in and he says this, and Jesus goes, hey, good job. Good job, Peter, but that wasn't you. That was God the Father. It was a humbling moment for Peter. Sure, he was admonishing him, but he wasn't admonishing him in his knowledge. He was admonishing him in the fact that he had allowed God to use him. Christ was glorifying God, not Peter. Does that make sense? And he goes on in that vein. He goes on, he says, listen, you're just a little pebble. Peter, Petros, means rock, little pebble. But on this rock, original text, on this boulder, I'm going to build my church. You see, what's going on here is Peter was kind of trying to one-up the other disciples. You know how it is when you blurt out the answer and you want to be the first one so that your teacher thought you were great or whatever and you you knew your stuff. Or a coach is like, how do you do this play? And you're like, I know, coach. And he's like, yeah, good job, Michael. Sorry, I'm I'm picking on Michael because he's a senior. I'll, I'll, I'll move on to somebody else. Good job, Wes. Yeah, you know. Coach Golf back there is like, we're going to run four laps today and West runs five. You know, it's like, Coach Four wasn't enough, you know. So Coach Golf would be like, good job, Wes. Man, you're awesome. You know, and then Wes would wake up, you know. No, No, that's not what's going on. What's going on here would be like Coach Golf saying, you guys run four laps. And so Wes would be the first one running four laps. And he'd go, I think I can do another. And he'd run five. And Coach Golf would go, Good job, Wes. Man, I, I haven't been working you out enough. Y'all go run another three. That's what's going on here. Peter jumps in. He goes, you're, you're the Messiah. Woo. That's right. You know, and Jesus says, yeah, good job. That wasn't you. That was God. You're a little pebble. And I'm a boulder. And on this church, on this boulder, God's going to build his church. In other words, Jesus is saying this. And Jesus can pull it off because Jesus is Jesus. He goes, that's right, Peter. I am the man. But it's appropriate for him. You see, in Isaiah, the word says, I am the Lord your God. I will share my glory with none other. And here's Jesus going, good job, Peter. That wasn't you. God gave that to you. I am the man. You are but a little pebble. And I am a boulder, and on this boulder, God is going to build his church. I am the Messiah. Now, don't tell anyone, but I am God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being in the presence of God and him going, that's right, I am God. We see that happen only a couple other places in the Gospels. One of which is when Jesus is in the garden and he's been praying and weeping and shedding blood and he's sweating blood because he's so distraught. 
and the disciples should have been praying, but they weren't. And the Roman soldiers come in to get Jesus. And Judas comes up and kisses him, remember? And Jesus says, who are you looking for? And the guards are like, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus says, I am, I am he. And you know what happens? Straight out of a scene of a movie, the Roman guards all go flat on their backs just because he says the words, I am he. There is power in the name of Jesus. And Jesus just, that same Jesus, just told Peter, hey, that's right, I'm God. Second thing that needs to happen in revival, first we need to wait. We need to slow down. We need to quit our agenda and we need to focus on God. Second thing that needs to happen, importantly, for revival to take place is we need to recognize who we are and who he is. We need to recognize our need of him. We need to recognize that without him, we are nothing. We are the church and that we are the body of believers, but the reason we are the church is because of who is inside of us. Jesus is the church. What makes this work is the Jesus inside all of us. It's not the lights. It's not the video. It's not the sound system. It's the Jesus inside us that makes this the church. When we stop, we get our focus off of ourselves and our agenda, our plans. When we recognize who we are, oh, so desperately in need of a Savior. When we recognize who He is, that He is the answer. He is all of our need. He is what we are aiming and shooting for. Then, and only then, will the gates of hell not overcome. Third thing for revival. Here we go. Notice that the Bible says that that he will build his church on Christ and that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Right? Well, there's a couple things we need to notice about that. Notice that when he's referring to hell, he refers to gates. What's important about gates? What stands out to you about gates? Do what? They open and close. What else? They determine who gets in and who gets out. Okay. They can't move. That's a good one. That's right. A gate is a defensive mechanism. A gate is built to keep people out. That's what it's built for, to keep people out. Yet many times as Christians, we walk through life feeling attacked and we feel like, like Satan and the world is out to get us and, and we read passages in the Bible that talk about us suffering and we kind of whimper and we're kind of like, oh, I don't know about that Christianity. That theology bugs me. You know, I, I don't want to suffer for the cause of Christ. I shouldn't have to suffer. And, and we get this little pansy-esque little Christianity going on and we act like there's something out there that is just going to tear us apart. And, and notice what the Bible says, that when Christ is the foundation of the church, that the gates of hell, defensive mechanism that is meant to keep Christ out, will not prevail against him. That message implies that when we stop 
And when we get off of our agenda, when we recognize who we are and our condition, yet who he is and that he is our Savior, he is our Lord Almighty, that our, our role with him as the center, the stone, the foundation of the church, our role is an offensive role and, and that the enemy's role becomes a defensive role, which is completely contrary to when we were of the world. When we were of the world, the enemy had his way with us. But the moment Christ becomes the Lord of our life, things pivot, things shift, and the enemy now is on a defensive role. And when we walk in, in a condition where we understand that it, when we're following God's desires, when we recognize who we are and who he is, and we walk submitted to that lordship, that we are on the offensive and the gates of hell will not prevail. They will not keep Christ from doing his will. The church will prevail against the enemy. In order for us to have a revival, we need to not only understand that, but we need to believe it. We need to quit living like a church that is under attack. That kind of bugs me because I hear it all the time nowadays. The church in America is under attack. No, the church in America has fallen asleep. The church is not under attack. The only things that bug us are things that we allow to come and distract us, misguide us. And often we don't even just allow them. Often we invite them. The church in America is not under attack. The church in America is not doing its job. Revival is such that we... We lose focus of our agenda, our desires, our things, and we focus on God. We recognize that without him we are nothing. We remember that we, are, we, that we were just wretched sinners with no hope. But he is God, and he died, and his love, his grace, his compassion and mercy came and gave us an opportunity that when we die to ourselves, we place our trust in him and we ask him to be Lord of our lives. We allow him to be Lord. His Holy Spirit comes and seals us and dwells within us and makes us a new creation that we then walk in his plans, in his agenda. We walk and we destroy, we attack, we thwart the plans of the enemy. Revival is is an offensive attitude. Revival is not a me-focused, me-centered thing. Revival literally means rebirth. Or for those of us who are already Christians, it's a remembrance of our birth, being born again, remembering what it was, and getting back to that state where we say, Christ, you have it all. You are Lord. I give it all to you. I submit to you. And the Holy Spirit comes and, and becomes alive and fresh in us anew, and we remember and we know who we are, and then we follow him on the offensive. Revival is an attitude that is not just one that says, I'm going to live for Christ. It is... I am Christ. I am dead. It is Christ who lives in me now, and I am doing his bidding. I am going to change the world. I am going to bring the battle to the enemy. I'm not going to sit over here waiting. I am taking it to the world. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's an attitude change. 
It's one that says, it's one that rather than saying, oh, I don't, I don't like the passages about suffering. I'm just going to preach about what it means to be blessed. Give a dollar and it will be returned to you tenfold. I like that message. No, revival is one that says, suffering, bring it on. Because whatever I endure would be nothing compared to the cross for Jesus. And I'm going to spend eternity with him. My reward is not meant here on heaven. My reward is given in heaven. I I am taking it to the world. Bring it on. Revival is an attitude change. Revival is one that says, it's not all about me. I'm just a mere pebble compared to this rock that Jesus Christ is. And he's made my meaningless life meaningful. And you need to experience him too. So here we come rolling. Make way. You know, like Aladdin. Make way for Prince Ali. You know, it's like, it's like, watch out. Because I've got the living God inside of me. So make way. Because here comes the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's changed my life and he is going to change yours. He's going to. You don't have a choice. You will either serve him now or you will bow when he comes back. But every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. So you can do it now and enjoy eternity or you can put it off until he comes back and hate eternity. But it's going to happen. That's revival. Revival comes in that form. And I think I'm going to stop there for tonight, and we'll, we'll continue on that next week. So you guys got plenty of time to go home and do your homework and get all that good stuff done since most of you wasted your life watching that awful game this afternoon. Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to stir amongst us. Remind us, Lord, who we are and whose we are. Remind us of your purposes, your plans for our life. And pray that you would stir afresh and anew in this church. That you would bring revival here. That we would fall in line with who you are and what you want to bring. In Jesus' holy and precious name I pray. Amen. Thank you all for coming.